Well, I have finally broken down, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I um, was over at the Germantown Community Center today working out, and um, they're having a senior citizen expo tomorrow at... Um, <laughs> yes, and they're, they're having all these free health services, uh, you know, a blood screening, a cholesterol, all that business. And, and um, I went to the lady who seemed like she knew what she was doing and asked, um, uh, these services will be provided for um, um, tomorrow? And she said, yes, free of charge. Isn't that great? And, um, and then she immediately um, gave me the document that gave the times and the places of all these free health services. Never once questioning uh, that I was old enough to receive them. She never, she never slowed down to say, oh, that old guy, he shouldn't get them. Yeah, boy, give him one. <laughs> Oh, me. But so, I'm, I, in view of that, I am introducing, maybe for the first time and forever now, um, the Walgreens 1.5 magnifying glass. <laughs> yes, I've humbled myself before you, and, and, and there'll be more, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Romans uh, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 27. And we're going to read verses 27 and 28 together, um, but uh, we've already commented on verse 27. So we're really going to look um, uh, at 28 tonight. So let me read it to you. Romans 3, 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, gang, uh, last week I told you that this final paragraph, uh, Paul is pointing out that there are three things, three further characteristics of the gospel that he preaches. And I told you about one last night that all boasting is done away with, or last week. And there's two more that he mentions in verses 29 through 31. And we'll look at those in successive weeks. But um, the point is, I don't have the slightest idea why Paul inserted verse 28 where he's done it. Because it seems like he's chasing after one idea, that is, that there are characteristics that I want you to know about this gospel that I preach. And then he mentions one in verse 27, and then he, he, he inserts this text, verse 28, which happens to be one of my very favorite texts in the entire Bible. It's, it's one of my favorites because it's so simple. And I think if I can give you any kind of explanation as to why, I don't know why he put it there, but I'm so glad that he did, is that what he is doing is, is almost putting succinctly and positively this thing so that simpletons like we could, could, could get it without ever missing a shred of what he was trying to say. When I first became a Christian um, in 1970, um, we were attending at the time Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and um, Jim Kennedy um, was doing a series in Romans. And I'll never forget the night that he got to this text, verse 28. Because, you know, I had been introduced to the gospel that, that heaven was a free gift. It wasn't earned nor deserved. And, and it was just like... Um, a, a, a whole new world opened to me and I 
still had all of these questions that I had brought from my previous ecclesiastical background. And, and, and then this text, this text did it for me. It was like, who could be dumb enough to miss this? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It was so simple that even I got it, finally. And I remember walking out of there thinking, I will never go back. I will never turn back now to anything that smacks of works because this is so concise, so succinct, so clear, such clarity that uh, it's always been treasured by me. Let's look at its simplicity tonight, and um, and then I'll tell you a little bit later one of the other reasons why it's always been so dear to me. He begins by simply saying, therefore we conclude. Now, you all know, and you've heard this in many Bible studies prior to this one, that the word therefore is always a word that we need to take seriously because Paul has built an argument, and he's basing his statement on his previous argument, on the argument that has just come before verse 28. And, and so... In this argument over here in verses 20 through 26, that were 21 through 26, that's a pretty complex kind of thing, you know. Um, um, there's some nuances in there, but not in this text. And and so, um, almost making sure that nobody could miss it, he says, "Here is our conclusion. There is a there is a finality. There is a." Um, a sense of the final word when he says, therefore, here is the summary of everything I've been trying to say. This is it. Get this. If I confuse you over here in verses 21 through 26, I don't want to confuse you anymore. A man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Can you get those 12 words now? That is the summary of the, of the gospel that Paul was so vital and so such a burden that people uh, to Paul that people understood. We are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Um, it, it begins with that therefore so that you can under, you and I can understand that this is a it's the, it's the distillate that he's drawing from this other argument that he has been uh, uh, outlining in verses 21 through 26. It is by faith. And guys, one of the things that I, I, I uh, want to make sure that I don't leave you in the lurch over is making sure that you understand the right role of faith. Because uh, I mentioned that last week. One of my fears in the evangelical world is that we have faith in faith. That's called fetism, as I said last week. That we're thinking we're going to heaven because we have faith. No, ma'am. We're going to heaven because Jesus Christ died in our place. And faith, and, and this is a word that I think you ought to, ought to kind of tuck away somewhere. Faith is the instrument by which I lay hold to the, to the benefits of Christ. It is nothing more than the channel through which God pours this gift on the basis of the merits of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. It is not your faith. Because if it were your faith, ladies and gentlemen, you would have something to boast about. Um, I know in my world, and um, 
we uh, hotshot theologians or thinking that we are. You know, the, the scripture points out that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is another thing that we can grasp and say, well, you know, I certainly have a finer, more, more intellectualized and sophisticated theo theological system than they. Ladies and gentlemen, none of that is going to save us. And faith, if you say that my faith is going to, I'm going to heaven because I have faith in God. Well, you, you might make sure that your faith never be divorced from the proper object. Faith is simply a gift, and if it's anything else, it's a work. If you, if you make it anything less than a gift, it becomes something that you've had a part in. Faith is just the hand of a beggar reaching out for the gift of a king. It's the instrument by which I lay hold of the benefits of Christ to me. That, that is the role that you've got to understand about faith. If, if you make it any less, anything other than a gift. Um, it's a work. And uh, um, we, um, we don't, we're not saved by uh, a work. We're saved by His work. Now, this, this gospel that Paul is preaching is is suggesting that, that there is no degree of obedience to law necessary to be saved. This is a justification, ladies and gentlemen. It's a justification that is not saying you're going to be justified without a perfect obedience. It is a justification that, uh, is, that means that there's no obedience. Um, there's, there's no obedience required to this gospel that Paul preaches. And, and gang, that is the, um, that's the essence of this gospel. Nothing can be turned into a work. And um, it must not be, including your faith. Now, um, I've been doing a study on James, and uh, on James 2.24, it kind of contradicts exactly what you're saying. Well, I don't think so, but let me uh, take a look at it. James what? James what? 224. Uh huh. Well, I might want to take a look at it, y'all. James 224 says, You there? You see then that a man is justified by works. And not by faith only. Hmm. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Well. <laughs> You've just been spoofed, ladies and gentlemen. He should not have asked him this. I, I had him. Uh, <laughs> Guys, um, do you remember? That's another reason that I love this text so much. I've been dying to do that and get people riled, and and, uh, and Andy is is good at it. All right. <laughs> Andy, I'll send you an email later. <laughs> <laughs> 
Guys, do you remember, you went to the new members class with me, or many of you did, and I showed you a film clip. Do you remember that? And, um, and do you remember that um, the question became, do you have to be a member of a church to this distinguished panel of religious experts, do you have to be a member of a church to go to heaven? You remember, do you remember any of this, this little, and you know, I showed that eight minutes worth and people said, keep it on, keep it on, we don't want to hear from you, but let's hear some more of that. Um, and, and this man on the panel with me, a, 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 a um, seminary professor in this town and a pastor, um, took his Bible, waved it in my face and said, if you can prove that doctrine of justification by faith, I'll eat this book. Don't you remember that? Do you remember that? I mean, and that's where I turned it off. Well, no, I say, uh, and then he said, after he said he'd eat this book, he, he goes to, je well, he didn't, he, he quoted it from, from memory, and the text that he uses in his argument is James chapter 2, verse 24. That would, James says, oh no, uh, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only which appears to set up a contradiction between Paul and James. So much so, ladies and gentlemen, that in the history of the Christian church, Martin Luther, at one point in his ministry, called the epistle of James an epistle of straw and did not want to see it included in the Bible. Because of this verse, James 2.24. But now, can you see at first reading how somebody, you know, big, dumb, and ugly like Andy could... Uh, <laughs> I lied. <laughs> could, could read these texts and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here it is so clear. In Romans 8, 328. And yet, it seems equally clear in James 2.24, and they don't agree. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no, there's no question that if all you do is grab hold of James 2.24, then you've got serious problems of contradictions on your hands. And, and I wanted to say to that man, that is such a, a horrific handling of the book of James, I can hardly... But I didn't want to get in a fight on television. So I felt like the better part of valor was to, you know, let people remain. I, I, I don't mean that. I mean, you know, I really didn't want to get in a fight, a theological wrangle in the midst of, you know, very frankly, I was a replacement anyway. <laughs> So, what I want to do with you for a few minutes, oh gosh, I want to show you how, and, and gang, if you're new to the faith, you may have walked across this text and been very confused, because I, here I am glorying in this simple summary of the gospel. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Apart from the works of the law. And then I've got somebody saying to me, you don't believe in that justification by faith alone stuff, do you? I mean, he said that to me. 
And I said, I think that justification by faith is the, uh, the pillar upon which the whole Protestant Reformation was, uh, was built by, uh, uh, by faith. Uh, by, only by faith is a man saved or ever saved. And he said, then that's when he quoted his verse. And I wanted to say, wait a second, Bubba. Look at the text with me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, look at the text with me. James, I want you to look at the, at the book of James. And, and never again be troubled by the tomfoolery that there is, a number one, a contradiction in the Bible, and number two, the role of works. Now, gang, uh, the simplest part of this is that Paul is addressing one brand of audience, and James is addressing another brand of audience. The kind of brand of audience that James is addressing is clearly seen, I think. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22. Now, this is before the grand argument of chapter 2. This is in chapter 1. And James 1, 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. That is the audience, that is the brand, the type of audience that James is addressing and seeking to correct. An audience that said, well, I got faith, therefore I'm safe, and it had never yet taken hold in such a way that it produced anything. So Paul says, I mean James says, oh my, if you are only a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're deceived. And then goes on to address that audience, and chapter 2 is, is tailor-made for an audience that says, you know, I'm a hearer, but I don't have to do anything now because it's saved by faith. Now, guys, uh, you, you, you get this even in the chapter 2. Um, uh, the question before James is, is not how men may obtain righteousness but how they are proved to be righteous. So it's an altogether different setting, an altogether different context. And, and so what he's doing, look at verse, oh gosh, uh, 219. In the midst of his argument, he says again, you believe that there is one God? You do well, even the demon, demons believe and tremble. You see, that's that famous text, again, tailor-made for an audience that says, if all you're thinking is that you've got some kind of intellectual attainment, you're deceived. You're in no better shape than a demon because they believe. And so he, he unfolds this argument rather slowly. And let, let me read it to you if you're still in the book of James. Um, uh, let's begin at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Do you see the, the concentration? It's a, it's a question of how is faith demonstrated? That's the audience that he's trying to correct. And he's saying, and then he's got that famous 19 there, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Yes, 
he was the Abraham believed God, but how do we know it? Well, we know it because he sacrificed Isaac on the altar. There was something that was produced as a result of his commitment to this God in faith. Um, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. There's the doctrine of justification by faith right there. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone only. How did Abraham demonstrate that what he had was really the real thing and was saving? Well, he rented out and obeyed and trusted God and sacrificed his son and on and on and on. And gang, we are justified by a faith that will always get to find itself getting fleshed out somehow. And that is the thing that demonstrates to ourselves and to our world, these people are really taking this stuff seriously. They have, they have got a faith that I haven't known much about. Guys, um, these are some phrases that have been used for centuries, I, I, but if you've never heard them, they're really good for you in terms of understanding this argument. They're, they're just some real simple things, but first of all, um, your, your lifestyle, your good works are the things that accompany your saving commitment to Jesus Christ. And those are present in every person who has savingly laid hold of this Jesus. Now, here's the, the thing that, that I think is um, maybe hopefully clarifying. You'll never be saved by your good works. But you'll never be saved without them. Now, that's not original with me. I think it's an incisive statement. I think it's a clarifying statement. Do you understand that the real thing that Paul is mentioning in Romans 3, that we are justified by faith, there is nothing justifying in a work, but there is something declarative about a work. And let me, let me go one other step, and then I'll finish. Guys, um, I just read a quote yesterday from A.W. Tozer that I thought was uh, rather relevant. He says, the two most important verbs in the Christian vocabulary are the words being and doing. And then he goes on to point out that the, the primary of those two has got to be being. Um, but the doing flows out of the being. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, what you are on the inside ultimately gets expressed on the outside. Now, let me tell you what my problem is. I'm out of balance in being and doing. And I think a lot of us are. What is it that we excel at, would you guess? What? Doing. We're all a bunch of performers. 
we excel at being good religionists. And I'm not, I'm not wholly discarding the, the, uh, the idea that we, there is a lifestyle to be lived, ladies and gentlemen, not that earns you anything, but is proof of something. But we're all kind of good at that. We kind of, you know, clean our houses out of all the Playboy magazines, and we uh, emptied out the hard liquor, and um, and you know we don't um, we don't uh, flirt with the secretary anymore, and and we stop telling dirty jokes at coffee break, and and uh, we come to church regularly, and and we got our kids in vacation Bible school, and and we've got some good doings. And because we're so emphatic about the doing, I don't think that there's many of us, and I, 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 I don't include myself, as people who really enjoy, really down to the core of their Christian little heart, enjoy the fact that we're loved. Because we're so blasted good at doing now, guys, I'm not saying stop doing. I'm, and I'm saying that the two most important words in the Christian vocabulary, yes, 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 I'm saying that. But I'm saying those things have to be held in balance, and I don't think many of us are balanced. We're kind of skewed as performers. We've been raised, if you came to Christ at my age, age 22, we were raised in a culture that told us we will reward good performance, we will punish bad performance. Um... We get that taught to us in just about everywhere. I mean, even Christian schools, I think, not intending to, but give off the vibe is you um, you conform to our little code here, and uh, we'll reward that. But if you step out like that's, but we so we've we've learned to do. But I don't know that we enjoy being just being a child of God to whom everlasting love has been committed. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, I don't know how Jimmy does it, but he picks out some rich songs. And you know, when I'm singing those songs, I'm seeing men who seem to understand being better than I do. And um, one of the challenges, two of the things that I want to leave with you is number one, you must conclude along with Paul that we are justified simply by an instrument known as faith that reaches out and lays hold to a Christ who is completely our benefactor. I think that's right. That is, the benefits flow completely from what Jesus Christ, Christ has done. And that's number one. Number two, that text in no way contradicts or is in disagreement with the Epistle of James. And by the way, Luther saw that later in his ministry and um, wholeheartedly supported its inclusion into the canon. And then thirdly, okay, the two apostles are emphasizing being and doing. Being precedes. Don't, don't forget that doing is, is essential. It's a proof of who we are. But ladies and gentlemen, we've gone overboard. We need to learn a little bit about simply knowing that because of Christ Jesus and the gift he gave us of faith
He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. That's who we are. Um, we're not a, a folk that's trying to outdo the others and gain some spiritual ladder or climb some spiritual ladder. But we are, in, it's imperative that we prove our faith by demonstrating it in a, a lifestyle of works that glorify God. If the, um, the choir needs to leave, you can get on out right now and I'll close this in prayer. Judy, Judy. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, we are all uh, at our best. Um, a sin-checkered lot. When we have done everything that we should do, we've done more, no more than what was expected of us. And we haven't even done everything we were supposed to do. So, Father, it is to your grace we flee. We thank you for your long-suffering, a God who is rich in kindness and forbearance with the people such as we. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll give us all, by the Holy Ghost, a, a richer and deeper understanding of this wonderful balance of being and doing. That we might not um, get so overtaken with our grand performances, of which I am so guilty, O oh God, that we forget just the enjoyment of being a child of God. We are that, by grace and grace alone. And we uh, who love Jesus are people who will do so because you gave us the, you granted us eyes to see, ears to hear, and gave us the gift of faith. And now we embrace him. With a long arm, Lord, we embrace this Christ and we will never let go. The thrill is that we will never be let go of. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice basically, oh God, in you and in who you are. And we uh, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.